From the KTOO Newsroom in Juneau, I'm Yvonne Cremery. The National Weather Service has issued a flood warning for areas around Jordan Creek, Montana Creek, and Auk Lake. Flood risk will be high through early tomorrow morning as an atmospheric river remains stalled out over Juneau. Jordan Creek is already moderately high as of this afternoon. Homes close to the bank could see up to a foot of flooding as raining continues. Weather Service meteorologist Nathan Compton said heavy rain like this is common during the early fall in southeast Alaska. It is typically when we see these higher rainfall amounts. I wouldn't say this is a top-tier atmospheric river, but we are seeing some impacts from it. Storms have already dumped several inches of rain over Juneau since Wednesday afternoon, with another one to two inches expected tonight. Drivers should be aware of pooling water on roadways around Jordan Creek Center and some stretches of Glacier Highway. The heaviest rain is expected to let up by midnight tonight, with floodwaters cresting shortly after. And an event billed as the only indigenous music festival in the country begins today in Juneau. Auk Rock kicks off this evening. It's the first time the festival has been held in person. Indigenous performers from across Alaska, the U.S., and the world will play over the course of three days. Organizers visited KTOO's Juneau afternoon on Tuesday to talk about the lineup and the buzz the festival is creating in the music world. Kachung Blanchett says the team has received invitations from people who want to create similar music festivals around the world. Because they're, they're looking at us, what we're doing, because it's like, oh, wow, this festival's happening, and, and it's something that's unprecedented right now. Blanchett is also a member of the Inuit soul band Bamioa and has performed all over the world. 30 years of, of me being in this, in this scene, in this music industry, there's been nothing like this ever. The festival began virtually in 2021. Headliners this year include Snotty Nose Res Kids, Hallucination, and local acts like Air Jazz and Daniel Furman. Tickets are still available for all three days or individual day passes. Performances take place at Centennial Hall and Elizabeth Paratrovich Hall. And a disclosure, KTOO is contracted to produce parts of the festival. A team of scientists at the University of Alaska Fairbanks just released its first Berry booklet. As KYUK's Emily Schwing reports, it's a part of a larger project that digs into the future of Alaska's wild berries as the climate warms. Berries, regardless of species, are a huge part of rural Alaska's subsistence lifestyle. And often, they're the only fresh local fruit available in remote villages. Their value is not lost on Melinda Chase. She's the Tribal Resilience Liaison at the Alaska Climate Science Center. Well, berries mean to me... um joy to see your berry bucket get full, to know that uh, this is part of our beautiful land. It's, it's food that is delicious. Um, it's something that we do as uh, families, as communities, as good friends. A warming climate means where and how people harvest berries is changing. And while I think we've had some of that natural variability, just the swings are getting so much more apparent. Over the years, communities across Alaska have developed climate change adaptation and mitigation plans. Two years ago, Chase's colleague, Katie Spellman, started reading them. And so Melinda told me, she's like, you go read all that climate adaptation plans and and um, start there. And because that's where the, the important research needs to be. Spellman is a research associate professor at the University of Alaska Fairbanks. 
She says among dozens of plans she read, she only found two references to scientific research specific to berries. It made it really clear that the science on berries, which is a topic that Alaskans care a lot about, was not accessible. Scientific papers are really hard to read if you're not trained to read them. Krista Mulder is a plant ecologist at UAF. They're really dense. Uh, They're full of difficult words. Um, So what we decided to do was to do essentially a translation project and to learn everything we could about climate change or the potential for climate change to affect um, plants that people cared about the most. So Mulder, Spelden, and Melinda Chase held three listening sessions with berry pickers representing 50 communities. And this month, they've released the first in a series of six booklets. The aim is to blend scientific research with traditional knowledge and current observations on how climate change is altering where and how berries grow in Alaska. Melinda Chase calls it a good start. You know, we have so much um, beliefs and traditions around berries, and um, and they're so central to our family time together, our time on the land. You know, and that and that is that's significant. The first berry booklet, focused on cloud berries, was released earlier this month, also known as Akpex in Anupiak and Atsalukpiak in Yuchtun. Cloud berries are soft, round, bright orange berries that grow on Alaska's tundra. Many people also call them salmon berries. Katie Spellman calls them fascinating. It has male and female flowers, and so if the weather during pollination time is off, then it's going to really affect how many fruits. Um, how many berries are produced in that year. And so, um, yeah, I just think, man, it's a a really um, beautiful and fragile berry. Those pollinators can't fly in colder temperatures, according to the Cloudberry booklet. But they can in a warmer climate. Krista Mulder says the team worked hard to make sure to include potential benefits of a changing climate. She says the booklets include advice on how people who rely on berries can also help them thrive. So very simple pruning, for example, with blueberries can give a gazillion blueberries um, on a single plant. And that's not a solution for everything, of course, but it, you know, especially if you have, for example, elders who can't go very far anymore, having patches of forest where you sort of cultivate, semi-cultivate the plants, have a bit of a food forest could be a really good thing. Five other booklets are due out in the coming months. Those will focus on blueberries, lingonberries, also known as lowbush cranberries, crowberries or blackberries, and red currants. They've already garnered so much interest that the team is looking at ways to combine all the booklets into one main resource. I'm Emily Schwing, reporting. Thanks to what is known as proxy hunting, being elderly or disabled doesn't mean having to sit out the moose harvest in Alaska. In Bethel, this is especially true, thanks in large part to the long-running proxy moose hunt program run by the tribal organization for the city. KYUK's Evan Erickson has more. Just as the frenzied salmon fishing season winds down on the Kuskokwim River, the time comes to hunt moose. The state of Alaska has a program in place to help those who can't take part in the labor-intensive moose harvest, allowing someone to hunt on their behalf as a proxy. ONC, the tribal organization for Bethel, has been helping match elders and the disabled with willing hunters for more than three decades. This is the biggest moose program we've had. That's ONC's Director of Natural Resources, Alyssa Rogers. We started off with just a couple people, and today we actually have roughly about 100 proxies and about 20 hunters so far. 
Proxy hunters can be as young as 10 years old and must agree to personally deliver all salvageable parts of the animal to their recipients within 30 days of harvesting. They must also immediately destroy the antlers of bull moose. No trophies, says the state. The window for taking moose in the management zone where Bethel lies was just eight days this year. According to natural resources technician Cara Dominic, ONC was able to facilitate successful proxy hunts for five bull moose before hunting closed on September 8th. We had a couple hunters who came back halfway through the season saying that they were successful for their families. They caught their own moose and they wanted to go out again. They picked up a proxy and went out for our elders. Proxy hunting is an opportunity for hunters to spend more time out on the tundra practicing subsistence while bringing high-quality protein to recipients that can offset soaring supermarket prices in Bethel. Serving as a proxy hunter can also be a chance to make a personal connection, aligned with cultural tradition. Most of our hunters this season uh, were able to bring the moose directly to their recipients, so they got to meet who they were hunting for. And Some of the recipients are single, elderly women, and they don't necessarily need a whole moose, so sometimes they'll be able to drop off different parts of the moose to multiple elders. Grace Kugler recently came to Bethel through the Jesuit Volunteer Corps to also serve as a natural resources technician at ONC. People who have come from other villages outside of Bethel to come hunt for people who live in Bethel. I mean, that's just like, you know, so generous of them, and we really deeply appreciate that. The ONC Proxy Moose Hunt team said that regionally the hard work has only started given that the winter moose hunt on the lower Yukon River is far less restricted. It's also easier for hunters because there's more accessibility. If you happen to catch one in the trees, you don't need to, you know, walk through a marsh and, you know, to carry it out. You can drive right up to it and it's easier to see through the brush. Given the opportunities to harvest moose in western Alaska throughout the winter, ONC is ready and willing to help get as many people involved as possible. This is KTOO.